Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report, and I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Coast Guard officials are investigating an oil sheen that was discovered over the weekend near last month's pipeline leak off the coast of Orange County. Crews were preparing to do a routine inspection of the pipeline on Saturday when they noticed oil droplets near the damaged section. That's when the oil sheen, measuring 70 feet by 30 feet, was observed. Coast Guard officials say the sheen has dissipated, but they'll continue to monitor the area. They say the oil spotted was likely residual crude from last month's spill. The pipeline has been shut down and no oil has flowed through it since the October 2nd spill. Federal investigators are looking into what caused the spill, although they believe it was initially damaged by a ship's anchor. 1,000 acres of sacred land could be restored to the Karuk tribe living along the Klamath River in Humboldt and Siskiyou counties. That's if legislation introduced in Congress is passed. KQED science reporter Danielle Venton has more. About three years ago, the Karuk tribe invited Representative Jared Huffman up to see a stretch of land along the Klamath River. The area is named Kudamine. Here's Tribal Chairman Buster Atterbury. Kudamine area is where we hold our ceremonies. It's where the Kuduk tribe considers the center of their world. Currently, the area is controlled by the U.S. Forest Service, as is 95% of Karuk Aboriginal territory. To use it for annual ceremonies, the tribe has to apply for and receive permission. Joshua Saxon, executive director for the tribe, says they wanted Huffman to consider legislation placing control of the land into Karuk hands. Under this bill, the tribe would have guaranteed access for current and future generations. And we'll be able to bring back traditional ecological knowledge and cultural practices and ceremonial practices that have really been hindered over the last couple hundred years. Karuk Self-Governance Director Daryl Aubrey said he could not overstate the importance of this land. Because this is our place of prayer. I mean, this is like our church. And so to have this back underneath our us being able to manage it and to be able to practice freely the way we always have is huge. The bill awaits consideration by the U.S. House of Representatives. For the California Report, I'm Danielle Venton.
Let's turn to energy now and the resolution of a decades-long environmental dispute that's creating new problems. California is on track to close Diablo Canyon, the state's last remaining commercial nuclear power plant. The facility, which sits on the central coast in San Luis Obispo County, is owned by Pacific Gas and Electric and has been operational since 1985. But Diablo Canyon was already controversial years before it opened, partly because of a 1979 nuclear accident on the other side of the country. Here's Walter Cronkite reporting that. It was the first step in a nuclear nightmare. Government officials said that a breakdown in an atomic power plant in Pennsylvania today is probably the worst nuclear reactor accident to date. The partial meltdown at the Three Mile Island nuclear plant underscored the concerns of Diablo Canyon's critics. They worried about radioactivity that could be released if an earthquake damaged the facility and all the nuclear waste generated by the plant. In 1981, nearly 2,000 people were arrested when they staged a blockade of Diablo Canyon. Those arrested included singer Jackson Brown, who was interviewed by MTV News when he was released from jail. Yeah, I do think we're going to make a difference. I think we're going to turn it around. See, already the nuclear power industry is really, it's all over for them. There are no new plants being ordered. You know, I hope that it won't take a, an earthquake and a, a, and a disaster down with Canyon to have it shut down. No, it didn't take a disaster to prompt the decision to shut down the plant. Just years of activism, the changing economics of the nuclear industry, and a growing political consensus that atomic energy's time had passed. Diablo Canyon is now scheduled to completely close by 2025. But here's the thing. The plant is still really important. It supplies about 8% of California's electricity, and all that power it generates doesn't produce greenhouse gases. That, in a state that's championed the fight against climate change. So, when Diablo Canyon does close, can California replace the energy it produces without turning to dirtier sources of power? Yeah, and that's that's the question that I've that I've been that I've been thinking a lot about and advocating about. That's Mark Specht, an energy analyst at the Union of Concerned Scientists, who studies Diablo Canyon. When you shut down Diablo Canyon, something is going to replace it. We still have electricity demand. People still will use the same amount of electricity the day after Diablo Canyon goes offline. So something will replace it. And the problem is that if we didn't do anything, it's natural gas power plants that would replace it. But those natural gas power plants would spew a lot of pollution into the atmosphere, the equivalent of adding 300,000 cars to California's roads. That according to research by the Union of Concerned Scientists. Speck says even if precautions are taken, there will be an inevitable uptick in pollution when Diablo Canyon closes. What's going to happen pretty much no matter what is that when Diablo Canyon shuts down, there's going to be a little spike in greenhouse gas emissions because... The day the plant shuts down, the next day, it's going to be gas plants that fill the gap. That's just how the grid works. But Speck says to prevent that short-term problem from becoming a permanent one, more, much more has to be done now to get green power sources online to replace the carbon-free energy currently generated by Diablo Canyon. Oh, absolutely. That, yes. <laughs> there is no time to waste. It is 2021 and... Diablo Canyon's first unit shuts down in 2024, and the second unit shuts down in 2025. We're talking about three, four years, and then the power plant goes offline. And building new, clean resources takes years. Folks have to be working on this right now to make sure that we're replacing the power plant with clean energy. 
Although SPECT supports the closure of Diablo Canyon for safety reasons, other energy experts and some environmentalists have another solution. They argue atomic power should be accepted as a way to fight climate change, and plans to close Diablo Canyon and other nuclear plants should be shelved. Intense wildfires in California have killed up to a fifth of the Earth's largest trees in the past 14 months. Many of the losses of giant sequoias have been in remote locations of the state where tourists don't go. Christy Brigham is head of resource management and science for Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks. She recently toured one sequoia grove that had been decimated by last year's castle fire. That tree is probably 2,000 years old, um, has survived 80 to 100 previous fires, trees that big that are completely black and have no needles or branches. This year's KNP complex and windy fires in the Sequoia National Park tore through dozens of groves of the towering trees, destroying an estimated 3 to 5% of the world's giant sequoia population. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. And more about our troubled supply chain. The Department of Motor Vehicles is looking to help ease the cargo backlog at the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi says it's all about making it easier to get more truck drivers on the road. The DMV is expanding its capacity to administer commercial driving tests by extending weekend hours and shifting examiners from other parts of the state to Southern California. DMV spokesperson Anita Gore says they're also training staff to be able to administer the tests, which are far more complex than a normal driving test. Our goal is to ensure that anybody who wants to take a commercial driving test has the opportunity to do so within 30 days if they meet the requirements and it's their desire to do it that quickly. Gore says the department currently administers about 5,000 of these tests each month statewide. So between adding more resources and opening up appointments on Saturdays and being more efficient, generally speaking, we're almost going to be able to double the number of commercial driving tests that we can give each month. Matt Schrapp, CEO of the Harbor Trucking Association, tells the California Report this won't solve all the backlog issues at the ports in Southern California, but it can only help. Although many have blamed a driver shortage, Schrapp says the problems run much deeper than that but he's optimistic that the right people are coming together to work on a variety of solutions. For the California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. Universal Preschool is coming to California in 2025, yet not everyone is celebrating. 
In fact, some believe universal preschool could have disastrous consequences for child care centers and families seeking early care, with the impact falling hardest on communities of color. With a closer look, here's reporter Deepa Fernandez. Many people are excited about California's new law that will bring free preschool to all the state's four-year-olds by 2025. This action, Universal TK, is the biggest thing we've ever done in California for our youngest learners. Assemblymember Kevin McCarty is the architect of the $2.7 billion Universal program. This is a game changer. The program will provide free preschool through the public school system's newest grade, Transitional Kindergarten, or TK. I think I could borrow the biggest bubble of them all. Me. Me. But Makia Ward is not celebrating. Ward runs five early education centres, like this one in San Leandro. She's really worried that the state's newly minted Universal Transitional Kindergarten Plan will siphon off all her four-year-olds. It will be difficult for us if we no longer are able to serve four-year-olds. And that's because we depend on those tuitions in order to pay for the expense of the younger children. In California, childcare centers are required by law to have one adult present for every four kids under two, while for four-year-olds, the ratio is one adult for every 12 kids. Dave Espen, executive director of California Quality Early Learning, says this means... You take a loss on infants and toddlers, and you make a marginal gain on the four- and five-year-olds. Losing the fees from older children will cut into the small padding preschools have to help cover the more expensive care of children under two. So many providers will close forever in the coming years. Those that don't close will need to raise infant and toddler tuition to survive, which will be completely unaffordable to even more families. So parents might win by having free preschool for their four-year-old, but it could mean less available care for the very youngest. I'm really worried that the state of early childhood education is going to be catastrophically miserable in about five years. Jennifer Carter runs two preschools in Southern California. A lot of black and brown women are going to be out of work. The early childhood workforce is overwhelmingly women of colour, and many won't have the required credentials to teach TK in the public school system. There are also worries about the overly harsh disciplining of black preschoolers for behaviours that are normal for four-year-olds, says Keisha Nzewi, Director of Public Policy at the California Childcare Resource and Referral Network. My concern is starting the school-to-prison pipeline even earlier because behaviours that are age-appropriate are not going to be tolerated on a public school campus. The civil rights group Advancement Project California wants the universal plan to be equitable to California's many children of colour. Senior Policy Director Khadija Alam acknowledges there are issues to still be resolved, and she believes there is a role for home childcares and small preschools. Honestly, I just don't see, you know, school districts just taking on the whole responsibility of UTK on their own. Dave Espen of California Quality Early Learning suggests private providers be allowed to keep serving their four-year-olds, possibly contracted out by local school districts who will be receiving the funds to expand TK. Other states have implemented mixed delivery systems and included the entire childcare community to take part. But Assemblymember McCarty is opposed to the idea. You know, we don't contract out eighth grade and fifth grade and third grade, so I don't know how we're going to contract out a grade. Alarm of Advancement Project California is hopeful all the issues can be resolved. 
I think it's an opportunity for growth. It's an opportunity for partnerships. For the California Report, I'm Deepa Fernandez. And we'll note that Deepa Fernandez is an early childhood reporting fellow at Pacific Oaks College in Pasadena, which is funded in part by First 5 LA. And that is the California Report for Monday, November 22nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great morning and talk tomorrow. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine. Protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash Adapting Care. Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at schmidtfutures.com. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!